As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, friends and foes, I guess. Are there any foes listening to this show, like rivals of Patrick, who hate listen to this uh, podcast? I'm Patrick Beja, and uh, I'm very glad to be welcoming you back to Pixels. In this podcast, we cover the news from the video games industry, and we don't do it week to week. We wait a few weeks And uh, we actually manage to analyze and understand everything that's been happening, or at least we try. Uh, we get away and get a better view for people who are interested in that and for people who don't necessarily need a daily video game analysis podcast. Hopefully you get something out of it. I enjoy this uh, little show very much. So especially, you know, on months like this where it's a little bit crazy And there is so much industry-shaking news that uh, I don't even know where to begin. There is tons of stuff happening with Sony, who made unexpected uh, purchases and announcements. There's a lot of stuff happening with Microsoft, and we can get into a little bit of speculation about what's going to be happening in the future there. And there's even a few rumors, interesting rumors about well, Nintendo, the last of the big three, and a couple of others. Maybe, you know what? We're going to leave the biggest for last. We're going to leave the, the most uh, industry-shaking news for last with Sony, actually. Uh, and mm, Xbox is not far behind this month, even though they have the... the it's something that we already knew, so it's a little bit less uh, momentous. But uh, let's cover very quickly a couple of portable console rumors One concerning Nintendo and one concerning Qualcomm. The Nintendo one is one that has been floating around for a while. It is the development and uh, soon-to-be release of a new version of the Nintendo Switch that would be an upgrade, essentially. They, Nintendo does that with their portable consoles all the time. They've done it many, many times, and it manages to keep their lineup fresh of hardware, I mean, And it also uh, makes them a little bit of money because people who have bought the previous version of the consoles often buy the, the new one as well. And uh, I think the Switch is especially suited to something like that. It's the case for most um, 
handhelds, but I, I'm sure a lot of people can hand over the old Switch to, I don't know, the kids or the partner or something and uh, use the new one. And so the new one, as I said, has been rumored for a while. And uh, we have a couple of not confirmations, but um, very strong rumors that indicate that this, some of the things might, you know, happen as we suspected. The main one is that uh, it would have DLSS technology for displaying 4K graphics or when it's connected to a TV. So that means that it would have a newer CPU or GPU or APU um, that is designed by NVIDIA, of course, but um, it would mean it's newer. And so I doubt that this would be the only benefit it gets. It might be a more, more thin, um, a, a, a thinner, I the word escapes me, a thinner, transistors processor <laughs> and uh, so it would cons be less uh, power hungry and but more importantly it might have things like ray tracing which would improve the graphics on uh, probably new games but also old games older games might get upgraded we know that nintendo has apparently been asking uh, developers to ready their games for 4k capability uh, from to begin with so maybe higher resolution graphics although although i'm not sure uh, higher resolution textures although i'm not sure that that's how it works with the lss since the lss essentially is a, an ai super clever super powerful uh, upscaler but um it would be interesting to see a switch that would have more of the capability of uh, competing well not competing quite with the playstation 5 and xbox series x because it's not going to be as powerful of course but being able to have games uh, ported over from those more powerful consoles in the same way that the current switch can get uh, obviously toned down versions of the ps4 and uh, xbox one ported to it because the ps5 and xbox series are more powerful than the last gen consoles and so it's not certain that um the new consoles could the games that are going to be made for those new consoles could be ported to the current switch because it's the the power difference is so much bigger now that we have the next gen playstation and, and xbox that being said it would be surprising if the games that are coming out for the new Switch, call it Switch Pro, Switch Pro, or my bet is on Super Switch or Super Nintendo Switch or Nintendo Switch Super. We'll see. But if the games that come, the games that will come out on that console will be backwards and forward compatible with the the current Switch. I mean, it's going to be the same, you know, console, and all the games are going to be running on both. So the benefits of having a more powerful console that you can port games that wouldn't be ported on the previous one might not be as strong as I would imagine in this, in this scenario. So we'll see. But an interesting aspect of this is that it seems the reason uh, Nintendo is being pushed to make that switch is that uh, Nvidia wants to shut down the line, the production lines on the very old Tegra X1 chips that the switch is using. So Nvidia is kind of pushing Nintendo, who really ha has very little incentive to change their their lineup because the switch is still selling like hotcakes, even though it's uh, you know CPU GPU are extremely old at this point. So yeah, we'll see what happens. 
it seems like there would need to be an announcement sometime in the end of spring, maybe summer, uh, and the release would be speculation at this point, but you know, end of the year, early next year would be would make sense. So we'll see what happens. But uh, another interesting piece of Switch-ish related-ish news-ish is uh, a, a rumor that Qualcomm, which makes CPUs, and is uh, is considering or developing a Switch-like Android-based console. And that's really interesting because we have seen a lot of attempts of turning phones into gaming machines, semi-dedicated gaming machines, and none of them has really caught on. And I think there are a lot of uh, opportunities there for, for someone to make something in that vein. Um, it's tricky, though, of course. That design uh, that we are hearing about would include Joy-Con-like det detachable uh, controllers and an, a dedicated, uh, customized Android uh, OS, which would still have some of the standard Android features, a browser, the Google Play services, things like that. It could also have the Epic Game Store app at launch, you know, on, on it from the get-go. That's an interesting one because it would mean that it, Epic could potentially get a foot in the door for getting games on a on a mobile device it would be around 300 bucks would have 5g of course because this is qualcomm um and it would target uh early 2022 and so again this is interesting oh and i didn't mention it but you know switch like would also have a tv mode so it would play games on the tv if you connect it to the tv so it's really very much like a a, a switch and the cpu uh, since the thing would be bigger and bulkier than a phone, it could have a more powerful, faster CPU. So that's interesting as well. But it really comes down to, I think, how Qualcomm is looking at this. If they're thinking we're going to make a, a phone gaming console hybrid, and that's going to be great because it's going to have the advantages of a phone and a gaming console, I don't think this can work out. This is a mistake that many tech companies and tech executives make that they think the, the two are kind of so closely linked together that uh, you can have the best of both worlds. And, and I don't think that works. Um, what could work, however, is if they think of the device as primarily a gaming console with some smartphone functionalities on the side, maybe if you want to have them. Um, if that is the case, if they think of it as a gaming console, I think there might be a space in the market for a that kind of device. Um, mobile games are very successful, and there are a lot of them now. Some of them have, well, many of them can be controlled via um, controller, and it's looking like Apple might release a, a new Apple TV that is dedicated or not dedicated but that focuses more on gaming kind of to take a stab at the gaming console market and that would be a boon for gaming developers on mobile that want to make games that are more in line with traditional um, games played on pc or or consoles meaning the main difference is controlled with a controller 
Of course, it wouldn't be exclusively controlled with a controller, but if it works, it could kind of create a, another market for uh, mobile-ish games that is more similar to what the, the, the Switch is doing. I'm not saying it would work out, but I think it could it could carve a little space uh, in the market because the games exist. It's really a form factor, a, a hardware issue, um, and the games are there. And if this kind of catches on, and on its own it might not catch on, but if Apple is pushing for something similar, I, and by similar I mean an Apple TV that is connected to the TV and that is very much a console, then it could kind of, you know, uh, jolt that uh, market into some, a little bit of an e existence. Again, you can sense that I'm not definite, def definite, definitive in my statements. I don't think it's a given, but uh, I think there is an opportunity there somewhere for someone um, if they do this very cleverly. So we'll see what happens there. So that was the switch part of uh, the conversation. We'll get to Sony and their purchase of Evo, which is crazy, and their pushing of the PSVR, which is also crazy. Um, but let's talk about, about Ubisoft. About Well, we'll talk about Ubisoft in that context, but uh, let's talk about uh, Microsoft. They have uh, received approval for their purchase of uh, ZeniMax, meaning Bethesda. And then ZeniMax is now part of Microsoft, of the Xbox team. That is really huge. I mean, we were talking about this a few months ago when they announced they were doing it. This is just uh, regulatory, regulatory approval, and it has just been approved. So now it's, it's happened. So everything we said back then is kind of has come true. We have... Uh, uh, doubled the almost the the number of uh, studios on the Xbox team, the internal studios, which is crazy, especially given, of course, the fact that Microsoft is pushing the um, is pushing the Game Pass service, and m most of the ZeniMax games are on Game Pass now. And that's Bethesda, of course, which is a lot of games that you know and love. But not only, it's also id Software, Arcane, uh, many others. And what has already been done and what is coming down the, the line. It is so big that I continue to, you know, it's, uh, everyone understands it now, but Game Pass is really redefining the market and forcing others to take no notice and, and act uh, on this. You'll, you might have seen that uh, a lot of uh, the PlayStation Plus games have become much more attractive since <laughs> the Game Pass has been making the headlines. And uh, Sony is even giving away games with their Play at Home um, service or offer if you have a PlayStation Five? I think it's even if you have a PlayStation 4, actually, for that that one. Um, so Play at Home is, I think, a reaction to Game Pass. It's not just out of the goodness of their heart that Sony is doing this. And there are a lot of things that are happening because of what Microsoft is doing. Um, something that's really interesting, I think, is looking forward, they're not going to stop. I think they are going to buy... I mean, they've said they're going to buy more studios. And I think their portfolio is almost complete now. But 
the main thing that's still missing is uh, Japanese games. They are attractive to Western audiences, or at least they have Western-style games offerings uh, up the wazoo in their internal studios, excuse the 1950s expression. But um, the, what they don't have is in the Game Pass something that appeals to gamers that are more into the Eastern style of games. And uh, I think they could remedy this by making a smart purchase in very likely Japan, because that's where the, that history and affection lies. Uh, the problem is, of course, there aren't many studios that are uh, easily purchasable in that uh, context. There's, you know, Capcom was discussed for a while, and Capcom just exploded with Monster Hunter World. Um, and it seems like those conversations, if they did indeed happen, are not in, you know, are not happening anymore. Um, there's, there are others. Um, there's, Konami has a gaming business that they don't seem to care about all that much anymore. Um, they're, still doing some things, but it seems not impossible that Microsoft will, would go to them and say, all right, we'll take your gaming IPs and business off your hands and uh, we'll do something with it. And here is a gigantic pile of money. It seems like Konami might do it. And even that is kind of a, uh, you know, not a, a guarantee, not even far from a guarantee. It's not, it, it would still be surprising. Um, the others seem impossible, like Bandai Namco, it's very unlikely, and it would the parent company, Kadokawa, I believe, would need to let it go, which I don't think it would want to. Um, it's uh, Square Enix, I'm not even going to discuss, that is too big for them. Uh, I mean, nothing is really too big. Microsoft is very, very rich, but it seems like it wouldn't happen, uh, although that would be, a, a, all of them would be a coup, all of them would be coups. They have a lot of IPs that are very dear to uh, gamers' hearts, and that would all of them would be significant. Um, Sega is another one that is on uh, everyone's lips and minds. Uh, Sega Sami is not doing a lot with their Japanese IPs, with their IPs, honestly. They have a Western arm that is doing very well. Um, actually, they have Atlas uh, also, which is, you know, Persona, which is doing very well. Um, and it would be also be quite expensive, but it seems like the most attainable of all of them. And there are a lot of beloved IPs with Sega uh, that are, that would, that Microsoft could take care of and redevelop in a, in a, I think, more loving way uh, than Sega has done in, in the past few years. They have been, I think, I really think, poor stewards of their IPs. S same with, with Konami. They, they haven't really done a lot. Honestly, I think Konami it would be the better, as a gamer, as a, a, an observer of that uh, space, I would love for Microsoft to get Konami. That would be really incredible. Um, you know, Castlevania, Contra, like I, there are dozens of IPs. Same with Sega, but Sega is so Sega that I, I would be, I would, it would feel weird to see those IPs taken care of by someone else. Konami, I, I would be ready to see uh, 
Microsoft do something proper with those old IPs. Of course, the new ones as well, Metal Gear Solid, uh, Silent Hill. I say new ones, I mean 20-year-olds and not 30-year-olds, <laughs> although Metal Gear was older as well, not Metal Gear Solid. Anyway, um, those are the big ones. I think uh, people also mention uh, things like From Software and Platinum Games, which are, uh, I, one of them is private, another one is part, uh, it's owned, and so it would be difficult to buy them. It, it would need to be a shrewd business uh, negotiation, which is not impossible to happen, but From Software especially is has a very bright future ahead of them and uh not just the dark souls series but they have a game they're working on with um with jr martin who knows if that ever comes out uh so I, it would seem like in order to buy uh from software from their owner they would need to put in so much money that it's not worth it um and and platinum is working very closely with nintendo but Microsoft has worked with Platinum before, so it might be that the relations are there and uh, maybe the, the owners of Platinum, the private owners, they're not listed, would, wouldn't mind getting a gigantic load of cash um, and just call, you know, maybe stay at the company or maybe call it quits, whoever, whatever, we don't know. But um, so I think they're going to go to Japan next and that's what everyone thinks, but I don't know who they would buy. Any, any... I think they want to go to Japan, but any actual deal announced would surprise me. Um, and just a quick word about uh, Western studios that they could still buy. Uh, there are uh, they're not going to buy a gigantic studio again. I don't think they would. You know, they would or could buy something like Ubisoft or EA um, or Take Two or anything like that. Um, I, I don't think they're interested in smaller studios. Smaller studios they can get on Game Pass by forking over a little bit of cash and getting uh, the day one inclusion in Game Pass relatively easily. And uh, they don't need to buy the games to get their, uh, their to, to get what they want out of them. So I don't think that would be, that would happen. Even though we do have a lot of really cool um, studios in, in France, especially, uh, but all over Europe and the US, of course. But I don't think they would be interested in mid-sized to independent studios. So I don't know. We'll see. So that's one part of the, the thing about uh, Microsoft. It's not even the end, because we've heard that uh, there might be discussions with Discord in order to, well, for Microsoft to buy Discord. Now, this is kind of a hybrid, um, a hybrid tech and gaming conversation because discord does uh, of course it has its roots in gaming but it's not only about gaming it's uh very much about well about tech as well and and how it could integrate into microsoft's ecosystem with teams and everything else and and even more than that um satya nadella has uh explained their vision for creators in the future and it's very much centered on communities so it it might be a business tech business move like microsoft is very much into the business side of things and smaller business creators everyone has a discord community now every any creator has a discord community and that 
happens, uh, you know, on Discord. Yeah, obviously on Discord. And I think that is a side of business that Microsoft is paying close attention to. So th there's an aspect of that. But if we talk about the business, uh, sorry, about the gaming aspect, um, it would be very interesting for Xbox to be able to do stuff with um, Discord. It, they could, well, there's a marketing opportunity there. Maybe they can brand things that could be cool because every gamer or a lot of gamers are on Discord and seeing the Xbox logo all the time, every time you launch it is, you know, uh, um, space, uh, mind space that is occupied and that is valuable. Um, they could also have integration into Xbox Live so that when you launch your Xbox, your friends from Discord are already there somehow. It's not easy. I think there's some complicated technical stuff there to to resolve but it could happen and so the commu gaming communities that already exist on discord could be seamlessly integrated into your xbox uh, one or series and you just you know keep chatting with your friends on your console i think that would make sense um they could crazy idea. They could even uh, resurrect the store that Discord had been developing and selling stuff on uh, the Discord store instead of selling it, or maybe on in parallel of selling it on um, the on their store, which is honestly not very well developed for games, and the Xbox app is not great. Um, maybe that's a good way of integrating the Xbox Game Pass inside of Discord. Who knows? Um, we'll see what happens and how much they want to integrate. But there is definitely something interesting there. And the price, $10 billion is what's being discussed, is kind of insane. It's more expensive than Bethesda uh, cost. So yeah, it is, it is crazy. And it speaks to the um, potential that Discord has for being really the place for communities, for creators, for everything um, that it is targeting. Uh, right now. And it started targeting at the beginning of the pandemic. So that's a really interesting one. Um, to finish off on Microsoft, they there has been rumors of Microsoft integrating Ubisoft uh, into the Game Pass. And of course, Ubisoft has a service called Ubisoft Plus, um, which is, you know, subscription. So you get access to everything that Ubisoft does. It's kind of expensive. It's 15 bucks, but it includes all of the... Um, all of the DLCs and everything, essentially. And you already get access to games on Stadia, the Ubisoft games on Stadia for quote-unquote free when you're subscribed to Ubisoft Plus. It's in beta in the US, I believe. But it's coming to maybe other um, types of devices and services in the future. Ubisoft likes to be everywhere. But including Ubisoft games into Game Pass would be a really interesting move. They've done this, of course, with EA Play, um, and that has increased the value of Game Pass significantly. Oh, by the way, talking about Discord, they could include Discord Nitro into Game Pass, which would be a nice plus. Nitro is like five bucks um, a month, but it would, you know, it's not huge, but it's a, a nice little additional thing for, for gamers. Um, but of course, EA Play uh, is, there are two versions of EA Play. The one where you get back catalog games, games that have been out for like six months to a year to two years. And there's a premium version of EA Play that gives you access to everything that's come out, including day one. Of course, the version that is in integrated into Game Pass is EA Play Basic. So you don't get the latest thing on Game Pass day one um, if you're just subscribed to uh, the Game Pass. For Ubisoft, 
there isn't a basic version. There's only the version that gives access to everything. So it would be a little bit more difficult to implement. Um, Ubisoft would need to develop a new offer that would only include, because I don't think they're going to include all of that into Game Pass. Like it's, it would be insane that you would get all of Ubisoft's game day one on Game Pass. I don't think that's likely to happen at all. Um, they would need to have a back catalog version of Ubisoft Plus, which I uh, jokingly refer to as uh, Ubisoft Minus, <laughs> where you only get older games, but it would still be a big deal. There are a lot of Ubisoft games, especially on the older consoles um, and I'm sure that they would be made compatible with you know Xbox series and maybe Xbox one and so that would be a really interesting thing to see happening of course it might be that they are working on this to replace EA play once it goes it cycles out of uh, the game pass I don't know how long that deal is but I'm guessing EA play is at least two, three, four, five years. Um, and we'll see what happens with Ubisoft, if it happens at all. But it's a little bit more complicated than you, EA Play. I don't think it's impossible. I think it might happen. And, you know, every time something happens, Game Pass becomes more and more unavoidable. Of course, some people are int interested and maybe will never be. But every time they add something like this, if they add Japanese games, if they add Ubisoft games, if they add... Uh, there's another small segment of the population that thinks you know what now i'm sure i'll get game pass just for this and i'll get everything else on top of it so i think they're not done and uh, they might go that route we'll have to wait and see though and uh, the last thing i want to cover today is of course Sony and PlayStation with the crazy things that are happening there. Uh, the main, most crazy one is Sony buying Evo. Now, for those who don't know, Evo is uh, the Ev Evolution Tournament, which is the main gaming tournament for, um, for fighting games in the world. It's been around for like in one form or another more than over 20 years. And it is a gigantic community, and it's essentially where fighting game esports happens. That's where it happens. It's the not the only place, but the main place, and it's really big. It, it's a yearly open tournament, meaning everyone, anyone can participate. You go there, and there are thousands of participants. And the the important thing, which I didn't even mention, but that is implied, is that it's not just a one game tournament. It is all of the main fighting games. They select games each year, but it's all of the main fighting games of the moment. You know, Street Fighter, Tekken, Smash Brothers, although with Smash it's a little touch and go with Nintendo. They have a spotty relationship, as Nintendo likes to control everything about everything. But, um, you know, Killer Instinct, uh, pff, I'm not even going to mention more. All the main ones. You know, Guilty Gear and all of those. So, the... The, this is the place for fighting games and for esports in that area. And as I said, it's an open, so you have a weekend where, well, extended weekend, where you have thousands and thousands of people. Anyone can enter and uh, you go through the, um, you know, the, the tournament. And at the end, you have like five different grand finals for or all of the games, five or six. Um, so it's, it is really kind of a crazy thing. And Sony has purchased Evo 
along with RTS, which RTS is kind of a uh, new venture created from partly Endeavor, which is a representation agency. Um, and so RTS, I don't think really matters all that much or it doesn't interest us. It's an investment type thing, which has some value, I'm sure, for them. But the main important thing, I would be very curious to know how much of that, of Evo, Sony owns and RTS owns. I, that would be super interested. I'm guessing Sony owns the majority, but uh, we don't know. Um, but Sony is the interesting part, of course. And a lot of people have been wondering why that happened. Um, and it's a legitimate question. It's a little bit puzzling. It, we kind of thought maybe Sony would respond to Microsoft, who's been buying a lot of studios by buying studios themselves, and certainly that might happen. But that kind of came out of left field. Uh, buying a tournament is not something we're used to or that we expected. But thinking about it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Of course, esports is a big part of gaming these days. And uh, you can you have a lot of, well, marketing opportunities, of course, but community building opportunities. And, uh, you know, the events themselves are something that people enjoy. And if you want to get e into esports as a part of your gaming world domination you actually don't have a lot of choice because most esports events are, you know, owned and organized by the company that owns the game that that tournament is centered around. They are very one game specific, all of the esports, you know, League of Legends, Dota, um, well, Overwatch is another big, big one, Call of Duty. And those are properties of the company that makes them. Evo has managed to create an event and build relationships and, uh, you know, put something together that isn't centered around one game. And that is completely unique in not just fighting games, but in esports, period. It's the only big tournament I can think of that actually has any way of being purchased. It is a very clever move for Sony or for anyone who wants to get into esports, because there's no other move. Um, I, I think Microsoft saw that, and they were like, damn, we should have thought of that. I, I think it might have been the case, because they could have snapped up uh, Evo in an instant, and that would have added a significant amount to their um, portfolio in a different way, right? Because it's not releasing games, but it's creating events. Now, imagine, I, I guess that's what's going to happen. We're going to see Evo promoted and easily viewable on PlayStation and, you know, PlayStation's channels. So it's going to give it a lot more visibility. Um, it's going to create excitement for a lot of games that are primarily on the PlayStation. And we'll talk about that part of it in a second. But um, most of the fighting games come from Japan. Not all, but most of them come from Japan. And they are on PlayStation primarily, on PC as well, but on PlayStation primarily. So there's some synergy there. And uh, Sony actually has weekly tournaments where they give out cash prizes on PlayStation, on the actual console. That's a little-known feature, but you can actually enter and compete in an online tournament on PlayStation um, and win some money. I have to confess, I've never 
done it. I've never seen it. I don't even know where you would go in the UI to do it, but I know it exists and it's happening all the time. Um, so they're fostering that community and um, they are doing stuff there that could be beneficial to their core business. Um, and you could completely imagine that Evo, Evo will now become a more important part of the yearly esports scene. You know, there could be, uh, uh, maybe not monthly, but uh, quarterly major tournament for Evo and uh, stuff like that. So it would be, you know, they can grow it. They have the power to grow it. Maybe they can expand it to other, maybe they can use the know-how and the expertise of the Evo team to uh, replicate this for other types of events. Some people have joked that we will see PlayStation Battle All-Stars 2 come out, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, that was a funny joke, though. Uh, and so th I think there's a lot of opportunities there, and it makes a lot of sense. Now, there's a big question, of course, which is uh, what happens to the games that are not PlayStation-centric. Because, of course, um, I mean, for Nintendo, as I said, they have a spotty relationship with Evo and any anyone who's trying to organize stuff around their games to begin with. Nintendo is not, doesn't play nice with others. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're thinking, you know what, eh, Evo now, it was, we couldn't do it online anyway. Uh, there's a whole thing for the last two years, Evo has been a, in a difficult situation, of course, like every, um, you know, in-person event. But on top of that, they've had issues with horrible instances of harassment and, for all of its good, the, the fighting game community has problems, just like the gaming community as a whole, problems it needs to resolve. Um, but going beyond that, I think Nintendo has not wanted to... They, they haven't really wanted to be at EVO anyway, and they couldn't do it because their community is, is you know... You know, they wouldn't understand that Nintendo doesn't want to be at that big gaming, esports, fighting game fiesta and the relationship between Nintendo and its uh, Super Smash Brothers community is also a little bit spotty. Anyway, let's put that aside. For other companies, mainly, well, Microsoft, that's the one that's left, um, are they going to want to have their games played on a stage where everything says PlayStation? And their games, I mean, mainly um, Killer Instinct, which... It's there's something there that is is Microsoft going to want to withdraw from Evo as much as possible? There's a question there. Um, th they have said that they would keep PCs present um, and games. Maybe there are going to be games that aren't played on the PlayStation console. That's entirely possible. I still think there's going to be branding everywhere, and you know, plays you know, play this game on PlayStation every. Uh, ad break that you can imagine and stuff like that so it's definitely i don't think they're going to close the doors to anyone who wants to be a part of evo as you know gaming company but there is going to be the little asterisks that says hey we're going to talk about playstation a lot so better be prepared for that so that's going to be an interesting one i'm as you know i'm a big fighting game fan and I'm really excited about all of this. Um, I, I, there was a time, a long time ago, when the fighting game scene was the largest part of the gaming community. And I think fighting games are really, 
really cool. Um, I think there's qualities to a fighting game that you don't see in other esports areas. Uh, a fighting game has very little uh, to... Uh, the, the way you approach a fighting game is your skill and nothing else, right? There isn't a team around you that will give you a great excuse for why you lost. There isn't an element of randomness that will make you, you know, pissed off if you don't get the card you want at the hand you want, um, at the draw you want. And, and fighting games are really two people sizing each other up and using their tools and their expertise and their skill to defeat one another. And that's all there is to it. Um, and, and the purity of that, I think, is enticing for a, a sporting event. So I, I, I was saying there was a time when fighting games were uh, the biggest part of competitive, quote-unquote, gaming. I would hope that this would... And now it's a little bit obscure. It's obviously not as big as, you know, Battle Royales or even, well... Uh, if we're talking about esports, MOBAs or even FPSs like CSGO and Overwatch and stuff like that. So I, I would hope that Sony brings it back to the forefront a little bit. Not to the entire forefront, maybe that's too much to ask, but makes it more visible and brings, more, more importantly, brings more people to those amazing uh, experiences and games that fighting games are. So there's hope for that there. And uh, the last thing I want to talk about is that that crazy acceleration of that's happening with uh, PlayStation VR 2 or PlayStation VR something. We don't know what they're going to call it. Um, they announced a, a while ago that um, they were working maybe on something for PlayStation VR follow-up, but not this year, not next year. Not. It seemed like it was going to be, you know, in five years maybe. Um that's not the case anymore. They've announced the PlayStation VR 2 for PS5 officially. Uh, they haven't given a date, but a week later, they showcased the controllers for PlayStation VR 2. Again, that's not the actual name. Um, they, they've showed the controllers, which was very surprising. I thought we were years and years away from anything concrete. And, and the, the release itself might still be years and years away, but it's, it seems unlikely as for PlayStation VR, the reason they show these things usually, that was what I speculated and it turned out to be, I actually the news broke when I was doing a, a show. <laughs> and so I speculated, well, if they're talking about it now, they must be sending out the dev kits. And it turned out that was exactly the reason. Um, and if they're sending dev kits, it can't be three years away, I don't think. You start sending dev kits. Well, maybe for VR, you need to send them earlier because people need the actual hardware, at least the controllers, in order to design the games. It's difficult to build on spec when you have specific hardware like this, unlike consoles, uh, traditional consoles. So maybe it's still you know, a couple of years away. But it's not five years away. Uh, it would be surprising. Um, and so... That's exciting for VR on PlayStation, of course, and I think VR enthusiasts are excited about that. Um, but beyond that, I think it's exciting for VR, period. And beyond the improvements on the headset, you know, there's going to be one cable, maybe there's going to be a wireless mo module, I suspect. 
um, for for PSVR. The, the controllers, yeah, I didn't even mention. The controllers are kind of nothing special, meaning they're kind of like Oculus controllers or uh, Valve Index controllers. They can detect opened and closed uh, hands and fingers, and they have the... That's a little bit new. They have the uh, adaptive trigger that the PlayStation 5 controller has, so that's pretty cool, but it's not earth-shattering. Although, for VR, if you want to hold something, you have the, the resistance that can be simulated a little bit. That's more haptic feedback than we've had in the past, which for VR can be more important than um, for traditional gaming. So that's, yeah, again, that's interesting. Um, but beyond that, beyond the controllers, the fact that Sony is still very much into VR, and this is what this signals. They're, they never retreated from VR. And by the way, some of the play-at-home games are VR games, and they're sort of giving away a lot of VR games than they have been in, in recent weeks and months. So once the PSVR finally arrives, it's obviously going to be compatible with those games from PlayStation 4, I think. And so people will already have a, a, a sizable uh, library of games, so buying the PSVR 2 will be an easier decision because you're like, well, I already have like 10 games that apparently are cool, so I want to give them a try, etc., etc. So that's a, a part of the equation. And the PlayStation VR being uh, pushed now by Sony means that they are very much into VR still. Of course, they main, their main device is still the PlayStation 5 itself, but PSVR is still a big part of their strategy, so they're all in on VR still. And that, a few months ago, we were kind of on the verge of, is VR really going to take, you know, uh, uh, pick it back up? Or is it going to go back to a dormant state for a few years? And between Facebook, which is still pushing the Oculus, and I'm sure they're going to have various uh, devices coming out, Apple apparently working on AR slash VR stuff coming in the next couple of years, and now PlayStation pushing it for gaming, um, it seems we're due for another bump in VR enthusiasm in, let's say, a couple of the next two years or so. That's my suspicion. So um, that is a really exciting thing. I don't think PSVR is coming out this year. I don't think it's Maybe end of next year, uh, you know, fall of 2022, but the uh, CPU, the silicon shortages are meaning, are mean that you can't really put out a, a completely new product at this point, I don't think, especially since they're still trying to make enough PS5 uh, uh, consoles and bringing them and selling them. I think they're going to wait a little bit. Maybe end of next year, we'll see, but it's not, the, the main takeaway is that Sony is still behind VR, and so the entire ecosystem of VR is revitalized by that news, I think. Um, so I think VR enthusiasts all around the world are celebrating and dancing around because yes, VR is here, which means VR is not. I don't want to say dead. I never say dead when I talk about PSVR or VR in general, but dormant. And it definitely has become a little bit dormant in the past uh in the past couple of years. So, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a lot of big news, honestly. That was a, a, a month with, uh, a meaty month 
<laughs> I would say. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed my uh, discussion and my analysis of all of this. I am, for those who don't know, I'm. we're expecting our second child, completely switching topics, uh, expecting my second child in uh, about a week. Uh, and so I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I know what's going to happen, but <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with work once that happens, because our, our experience with the first one was a little bit uh, uh, complicated. But um, I'm. we'll see how I can manage things, if I can come back for a show as soon as next month or if I'll have to skip one. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed doing this show. Hopefully I'll be back soon. And if I'm not, please wish me luck for the renewed challenge of parenthood, which honestly is uh, the biggest, uh, not yeah, gaming, there are rules, gaming challenge of them all. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Patrick Beja. You can find everything I do at notpatrick.com. I hope you have a lovely day and a lovely month, and I'll talk to you soon for more video game news and industry analysis. Talk to you then. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.